0: I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. We're at an exciting time in the mobility sector, with new technology causing us to continually question the way that we move both goods and people. My job is to talk to the individuals leading this revolution, and to investigate the challenges and opportunities we face as we develop safer and more sustainable mobility. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating. One of the key themes in the first 13 episodes of this podcast has been automated driving. The challenge, or at least one of the challenges when discussing this topic, is that fully automated SAE Level 5 driving is still a ways off. However, there are specific applications and use cases that are already primed to capitalize on the technology as it exists today or will exist in the near future. This special episode is focused on those situations i pulled clips from three of my guests, Santosh Sankar from Dynamo Ventures, Ed Olson from May Mobility, and Chris Barone-Bird from AfriCar to showcase some of the realistic use cases for automated driving right now. Here's Santosh Sankar, first talking about some of the challenges of last mile delivery, and then talking about some of the areas where he sees progress being made.
1: Um- so I actually had one of my friends text me a couple of weeks ago and he goes, I just really want to understand why uh, you're not too keen on last mile delivery networks. So just the business of operating a network. Uh, and he actually used the word hate. I, I don't quite hate it, but what you're seeing here is that um, the big limiting factor in a lot of these last mile businesses, as you think about them maturing as a business and the economics is Uh, around the conveyance of the good. And it's really hard, even if you have density and you have volume, right? And this almost predisposes you as a business to areas like New York or San Francisco, where there's a lot of density and you could put a lot of volume across that density. Um, You need to look at automation of some kind to make the economics work. Uh, And back in 2017, if I remember correctly, we kind of peeled back the layers and we believe that there's probably a 30% uplift in your unit economics, the profitability of delivering a good if you have automation in place. Um, The one thing that we've seen accelerate through COVID is a requirement for low touch or no touch delivery, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That's also actually opened up the pickup game. So Walmart Grocery, hey, I can show up, open my trunk, they drop in everything, I move on. Um, so you're seeing drones. We have an investment in a drone company out in Ireland called Mana. Uh, Mana is enabling uh, food and essential delivery to vulnerable populations through COVID mm-hmm. using their drone service. Uh, I mentioned Walmart grocery uh, pickup. We have an uh, investment in a company called Gadic mm-hmm. that actually enables – The middle mile, so this is more in the warehousing fulfillment world, warehouse to warehouse, warehouse to grocery pickup point, they enable that conveyance piece with autonomy. This next
0: clip is Santosh again, speaking about two key enablers for applications of automated driving in the short term. The first is the ability to focus in on realistic and, and somewhat simplified use cases. And the second is the ability to find a commercial model that's feasible in the long run, in the short term, and um, just gets better in the long run.
1: The, um, the interesting thing about Gatic that got us really excited is, um, You have to constrain the environment and i think uh what the team there was super thoughtful about and to be candid i probably didn't appreciate um nearly as much when we made the investment as i do now is that they picked these fixed routes these fixed recurring routes and if you think about it you made a point around right hand turns only Mm -hmm. if you think about a person in the back of a car and imagine if this vehicle was optimized where it would only make right turns and avoid all left turns, we would probably go insane. And we would say, this is a terrible service. I want a human back in the driver's seat. Whereas when you think about freight, we can take an extra two to five minutes if we're avoiding left turns because left turns are arguably one of the most complex things to navigate when you're driving. And I have to make a left turn to get to my office And uh, it's a very open left turn, and it requires a lot of precision and perception and context. And autonomous systems don't necessarily have that yet. And the interesting thing about GATTEC is in this intermediate term, on a unit economic basis, they could do really well. And they're doing really well with the safety driver still in the seat Mm -hmm. in this transitory period. And the interesting thing is that their unit economics only get better when you pull the safety driver from the seat so there's something really interesting there and it's all enabled because they've been so selective about the environment that they are going to operate in so in the intermediate term we have to think about environments where you can constrain the environment
0: this third and final clip that i'll be using for my interview with santosh sankar focuses on the challenges of highway driving in an automated fashion, and something that we probably didn't realize a couple of years ago when we were first looking at automated solutions, but still today saw, uh, presents significant challenges. Um,
1: I think on automation over the road, initially, uh, this is the part of long haul trucking where people said, this is perfect for automation, right? Once mm-hmm. you get on the highway, it's a rather static environment. Um, And I think what we've come to realize and learn is that it's actually rather difficult still to automate in that world. Um, Even if you do have the capability to put the vehicle off of the merge ramp on the road, Mm -hmm. uh, you have to worry about everyone else around you. And we're fortunate to be investors in a company called Starsky Robotics, Uh, that recently shared a lot of their lessons with the world uh, when they shut down the company. But I remember um, 12 months ago, sitting in Starsky's office, and we had a live feed of uh, one of the vehicles in Florida. And what their engineers were pointing out to me is how uh, drivers in Florida were way more aggressive in following their autonomous vehicle and maneuvering around their autonomous vehicle than in other parts of the country. And what they're trying to figure out is, how do you adjust for that? Um, how do you account for that behavior as you're just trying to stay in the right lane and keep going and you know, maintain a safe operating environment? So I think um, we'll have to come back to that. Um, I think you know, there's some different you know, challenges there. We have to probably better understand and better gather data sets around just vehicle maneuvering and behavior on the
0: highway. Mm-hmm. and that
1: might be a startup opportunity maybe that's an enabling technology that gets folded in by some of the scale players that have developed over the
0: Now we'll transition to clips from my interview with Ed Olson from May Mobility. If you uh, you might as you might remember if you listened to the episode Ed is the CEO and and leads May Mobility who provides automated shuttle shuttle services um, and Now we'll transition to clips from my interview um, with Ed Olson, who's the CEO of May Mobility. May Mobility, as you might remember if you listened to the episode, provides autom- automated shuttle services. And Ed here speaks about the importance of, or I guess the role that automated driving plays in his business, and, and also I guess the things that they do not. Now we'll transition to a couple of clips from my interview with Ed Olson. You you may remember from the. Now we'll transition to a couple of clips from my interview with Ed Olson from May Mobility. You may remember if you listened to the episode um, that May Mobility provides automated shuttle services, and one of the things that stood out for me in the discussions with Ed is just the the way that they think about automated driving and the role that it does and doesn't play in the overall offering that May Mobility provides to both their customers and their end users and in this first clip, Ed touches on a couple of these uh, particular points that I thought were interesting.
2: At the end of the day, the buzz and sort of novelty of autonomous driving uh, is not something you want to build your business upon. It will fade over time. And so we're really focused on building a business that makes sense as a transportation services company. Now, that said. The autonomy is a huge economic enabler that allows us to provide a level of transportation services that traditional transportation companies can't match. And so uh, we are a transportation services company, um, but that technology component is a is is a intrinsic part of what we do.
0: Could you expand on what that allows you to do? That might be different than others who are coming at it from more conventional means.
2: Yeah, you know, one one of the things we hear a lot is that. Uh, you know, autonomous cars are going to be very expensive mm-hmm. and, and only, you know, affluent people are going to be able to use autonomous cars. And that, that is kind of a, a, you can certainly build a very expensive autonomous car, but you can also use the technology if you're very focused on what's the problem I'm trying to solve and build a vehicle to solve that specific problem. You can build a vehicle, as we have done, that has very good unit economics that
0: can In uh, the second clip from the, the discussion with Ed Olson, he speaks about the, the role that automated shuttles and, and mobility specific offering plays within the greater um, transit infrastructure. and also the benefit of their offering and, and the way that automated driving allows them to kind of enhance the offering that is provided for the end users.
2: Most transportation planners, their, their go-to tool is a bus. Mm -hmm. Well, you've walked around cities. Most of the time when you see a bus pass by, it's got a handful of people on it. Not all the time. There are routes that get really good utilization, but by and large, a ton of routes have very low utilization. And the problem there is that uh, the buses are very expensive. They're expensive to buy, they're expensive to operate. And then if you're only carrying a handful of people, then the pressure on the transportation planner is, well, I guess i better run the bus less frequently. Mm-hmm. Because then maybe more people, more demand will build up and I can fill that bus. Yeah. Of course, it doesn't work, right? If you reduce the frequency of service, people find the service less convenient and will go to other modes of transportation like uh, ride hailing or, or things that uh, adversely affect congestion. So mm-hmm. what they need is a way to, to deliver their transportation services it, at a size that makes sense for the demand. And that's one of the things you can do with an autonomous vehicle. It's very, it'd be very expensive to put three times the number of buses on the road, even if they were smaller buses, because of the, the cost involved in servicing that fleet. But mm-hmm. autonomous vehicles would allow us to get those vehicles around and service the demand where it exists.
0: Finally, we'll close with a couple clips from my discussion with Chris Baroni Bird. Chris, you may remember, uh, has a ton of experience in the industry with electric vehicles and automated driving solutions and telematics connected vehicle applications things like that and right now is working on an interesting africar project where he has uh, kind of low speed low cost offering that he's trying to provide for local local transportation and this this first clip the question that is posed to chris before he begins speaking is the benefit of low speed operations for um, applications in the short term for automated vehicles. And that's where he picks up with his answer. Uh,
3: if something goes wrong, it's not going to be catastrophic. And uh, the sensors don't have to be as expensive if they only have to uh, operate on vehicles going at 15 miles an hour. They have a lot more time mm-hmm. to process information the, the, in terms of the compute platform. So not only, not only does the vehicle itself become dramatically less expensive if you reduce the performance requirements, but also the autonomy system that goes into that vehicle becomes significantly less expensive. And if you can com- complement it with um, uh, infrastructure support in terms of vehicle to infrastructure communications, um, you, you improve the robustness of the system even more. And again, that's hard to do if you want to do it across the whole of the country. Uh, but if you're talking about um, you know, small city centers, uh, it's definitely doable. To
0: end, we have another clip from the discussion with Chris Baroni Bird. And this one actually veers a little bit from the uh, topic at hand here in automated driving, but it's well within kind of the spirit of the discussion here. And so it's Chris talking about applications for for this uh, AfriCar low speed rickshaw type application that he's talking about and, and the ways that it might um, be able to put into practice in the short term.
3: You know, I could see this solution being very useful in. Um in Metro Detroit, uh, in, in, in Detroit itself, um, you know, connecting the urban farm to the food deserts, for example, um, mm-hmm. providing low-cost transport. You know, as you move towards um, delivery of goods uh, in urban areas, you don't need high-speed operation. Um, and you don't necessarily have to design the vehicles to be all crash requirements because there's nobody in the vehicle. So imagine that this, was an, uh, this kit could power an autonomous, uh, you know, delivery vehicle, and it was solar powered. Or think about in in city. Many cities in Europe are beginning to think about going car free in the city center. And mm-hmm. with the COVID situation, it's giving some cities, uh, a, you know, the op- opportunity to create bicycle lanes overnight, um, that may may survive even after COVID uh, mm-hmm. ends. Um, but basically this idea that cities uh, may ban cars from the city center, you'll still need to move people around, um, and goods for sure. Um, but they won't need to be designed to meet all the crash requirements and they won't need, need to be made out of the same materials that we made cars out of. Uh, and they could get a larger fraction of their energy from solar power, especially in the summertime. So the idea of a uh, low speed, um, solar powered electric vehicle that uses, uh, old lithium-ion batteries from used electric cars and operates at maybe speeds of 15 or 20 miles per hour in a city center free of cars. Um, Again, it could be made locally if you don't have to um, make these vehicles out of uh, traditional materials and design them to meet all of the car requirements for aerodynamic drag and uh, emission standards and crash requirements and so forth. So
0: that's it. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this special episode. If you'd like to leave a comment, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. This is Brandon Bartnick. And also consider leaving a rating in the Apple iTunes podcast. I'm sorry, that that means a lot. Uh, yeah, appreciate some feedback. It's, if This is something that we want to do uh, more often, kind of switching it up, putting together themes rather than speaking with one individual. I, th- I think there's some, some interesting things we might be able to do here. But uh, yeah, until next time, thank you. I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast.